mission of FSU Coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them, and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State, but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach. So. All right, well, we're going to get started. I don't know about you, but my my commercial did not play very well on that intro. So uh, not sure when it finished or when it was going to finish. Um, time for a computer upgrade, I think, Tim. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Tim Baggers, joined uh, <clears throat> today by Tim Gutierrez. He is a football coach in New Mexico. Tim, tell us a little bit about how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, so... Uh... I was a offensive lineman in high school and uh, I was really, really bad uh, for the first two years that I played my freshman and sophomore year. I was, I was for sure the worst player on the team. And then uh, somewhere during my junior year, it just kind of clicked and, um, and, and, you know, I started playing better and I, I really wanted to play, you know, college football, but I only wanted to play division one football. And, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You got to, you know, if I'm not going D1, I'm not going. And, and that was a bad attitude because I'm not a D1 athlete, uh, especially as, a, as an offensive lineman. I'm not even that big of a guy. Um, so just a, an unrealistic expectation. Well, uh, when I graduated, uh, I got into coaching right away. Um, first, I started off kind of just being around, helping out where I could. And then uh, one of our assistant coaches that year, unfortunately, was going through a divorce and had to step away. Uh, they let me fill his uh, position. And I, I must have done all right because I was at Manzano for 10, seven years, I think, seven or eight years. Uh, I survived three different head coaches. And, and um, you know, I've always been at the high school level. And now I'm at Los Lunas as, as their defensive coordinator. Um, but I, I've been about everywhere except quarterbacks and receivers. <laughs> I'm assuming you have another job in tandem with this coaching because we all know high school coaching is not exactly a lucrative business. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I worked for an insurance company. It was kind of a sweet gig. I could set my own schedule. So I would go to school and go to football and then just work whenever I could. Uh, and then I was I sold insurance for a little bit and that got a little bit too um, hectic for me. The schedule was really, really hard to, to squeeze in coaching football. Um, when you need to be making money. And so now I'm teaching special ed math at the high school. <laughs> okay. How then do you, do you handle the balance between <clears throat> coaching and uh, working and, and just general life, work-life balance, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, in the fall, it, it's pretty much all football. Um, I, I find little pockets to, to take breaks from. But uh, for the most part, it's I think about football, I focus on football and I have to prepare my entire week as far as lesson plans or everything goes uh, sometimes a week, two, three weeks in advance, just because I, I don't want to, you know, football is a big time commitment and I don't want to take away from 
how well I'm doing my actual job from, you know, what my passion is. Um, that's not unfair or that's unfair to my students. So just a, a lot, a lot of prep time and just try to stay active, try to keep the, the blood pumping. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of coaches can probably resonate with, with that during season life is very, very busy. And even in off season, you're still thinking about what you're doing in the coming season. Yeah. Is there, is there anything in particular that you found other than kind of planning ahead, which is wise, by the way, <laughs> that allows you to, to ensure that you're able to give the best of both worlds? Uh, I really, really try to, uh, it's kind of a cliche thing to say uh, nowadays, but be where my feet are. You know, if it's football time, it's time to focus on football. When, it, when it's school time, it's time to focus on school. When it's time to hang out with my fiance, you know, she's my focus. You know, when I'm at the gym, that's my focus. And it, it's really hard to turn those, you know, different parts of your brain off, especially if you're having a more stressful season or, or you know, your students are stressing you out for whatever reason. Um, so just practicing mindfulness, doing yoga has been really good for that. Uh, but just really, really try to focus on the task at hand and not get distracted by, you know, what you have to do or before or after. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you, quote, survived, I think, three head coaches uh, departing. Talk a little bit about, about the realities of that and the, the challenges associated with coach turnover. Are you still going to have a job? What's your role going to be, et cetera? Yeah, there's always a little uh, uh, trepidation when, when there's some movement. And I think as a, as a coach, you just kind of accept that, that you're going to bounce around a lot. You know, you're going to move a lot. And uh, I was fortunate enough that the guy who took over for the coach that hired me, Aaron Ocampo, uh, was also one of my high school football coaches, Chad Adcox. And, and we had built a, a pretty good relationship by that time when he took over. And then that third coach, again, fortunately, another, another good buddy of mine. Um, but my roles changed each time the head coach changed. And, and each season brought something new or something different or challenging. And I think as a, as a, especially as a younger coach, that was good for me. It, it allowed me to get my hands on a lot of different aspects of the sport and a lot of different uh, players that I wouldn't normally come into contact with or, or skill levels. Um, so just soaking it in and, and try to learn as much as possible and just know that, that you could be gone at any moment and, and that's okay. <laughs> you're, you're still relatively young. I, I, I use the term loosely. How, how do you handle the situations where maybe some of the coaches who are under you as coordinator may not, or maybe more experienced than you, or, or may have maybe older than you. How do you handle that? I'm not going to say dilemma, but difficulty challenge. Yeah. Uh, I really try to, to have a big collaborative group um, in my Sunday meetings or with my coaching staff. Uh, we do a lot of continuing ed together. We do a lot of clinicking together. At least we try to. Um, we we meet all the time. And really, ultimately, I, I set the standard early on. You know, this is a collaborative effort, but the final decision is mine. So, you know, you're going to have a voice at the table. You're going to be heard. But ultimately, you know, I, I've been lucky enough that my current head coach has given me full reign over the defense. So, you know, it, it's my choice. And if we're going this direction, we're going this direction. And so far, I really truthfully haven't had, you know, that much of a, of a rub 
with some of the older, more experienced coaches. Uh, I think early on in my career, you know, when I was a, a teenager and in my early 20s, uh, I knew when to shut up. So I didn't I didn't rub anybody the wrong way or, or try to speak out of turn any of the questions that I asked. I tried to think it out and, and figure out on my own. And now at this point, I also understand, too, what it's like to be an assistant coach uh, underneath somebody who who doesn't have a collaborative environment or who does like to lead with a real heavy hand. Um, you know, we're, we're not getting paid, so we might as well make the working environment enjoyable. Mm. Well, you just said we're not getting paid. Uh, talk about that. What do you mean? Yeah. So uh, our, our setups, we have, I think, five paid coaches and the other ones are, are volunteers. So uh, we won state two seasons ago and two of our defensive coaches weren't even paid that year. You know, it was just me and my DB's coach and, who also teaches on campus. So and, and it's not a ton for the money that that or excuse me, for the time that you put in. One year we broke it down and it, it's, you know, pennies on the on the hour. So it really is a, a passion project and something that you got to enjoy doing because there's not a ton of money coming in for you. Yeah. But at the same instance, this is a business and you could argue that if coaches are underpaid, there are opportunities for coaches to to have a voice and to say this this shouldn't be. Uh, a labor of love, which is what I hear time and time again on these interviews. How can we change that? Because I don't know what it's like in New Mexico, but but in Florida, a lot of situations occur where coaches are, uh, dare I say, warm bodies because they are volunteers or they're getting paid a very low stipend. How do we change that so that we can then almost demand more professional development, more training, more higher standards? and and better care of athletes yeah that's a great question and it's something me and a, and a friend of mine talk about a lot uh because it is it you know it is you know i'm volunteering my time so you get a lot of parents or you get a lot of people who are retired um so the the barrier to entry is really low and it creates this weird sort of um different group, I guess, or, or, or two different types of coaches. You either have the people who are really, really passionate about coaching and really, really passionate about their sport or what they do. And they invest, you know, tons of time and, and hours trying to learn and get better. And you have those guys that it doesn't really mean that much to them. You know, they're, they're there to help their kid or they're there just to fill their afternoons sometimes. Um, but I, I think the problem starts with schools kind of taking away and, and obviously not every school, but Schools taking away the value that sports brings to um, to the to the high school. You know, mm -hmm. kids with more successful sports programs are more invested in that school because it's a better community. It's a better uh, environment for those kids to be in. You know, winning creates winning. So, you know, if our sports programs are good, then our kids that that aren't athletic enough to see the field or, or aren't interested in playing that sport are probably going to go watch. You know, their friends are playing. You're going to get more involvement. Nobody wants to be on the losing team. You're going to get more involvement from the student body. But it, it's all got to come from the the district level. You know, their UNM, or, or excuse me, the basketball tournament here does something really cool where they have it at UNM's stadium at the pit. And it starts in the middle of the day and kids can leave school. But I think it would be important if, if we had those games regularly, you know, if if our our rival right now is Belen, 
I don't see why it would be unreasonable if we played that game on a on a Friday afternoon in the middle of the school day and pack it. You know, the two schools are, are 10 miles apart. You mean to tell me your student body wouldn't come down if they got out of class at, at 1030 to watch us play it at 11? You know, little things like that. But I think more kids getting involved, uh, more people in the stands, more money to go around. You can afford to pay the coaches more. You can raise that barrier to entry a little bit because you know we're we're making you're you're talking from the perspective of football yeah yeah (laughs) because when we talk about people in the stands and cross country or tennis or you know not to disparage other sports less attendance therefore if we're basing this this monetization on on you know people in the seats that's always going to be a struggle for some sports is this a case of the U.S. in general just needs to take a hard look at, at coaching as a profession and say it is a profession and so it should be rewarded appropriately? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think regardless of what sport you're in, you know, if you're the head coach or a coordinator, even an assistant coach in, a, in any sort of sport, any sort of program, you look at wrestling coaches, even uh, cross country coaches, you're spending a lot of time. Uh, of your own time, trying to get things done, trying to get things organized. It is a full-time job, even though, you know, your season's only a handful of weeks, it is a full-time job. And now we got to work two. I think you get more qualified coaches. You get guys who don't get burned out so fast. You get more opportunity to bring in higher quality coaches if we just treated it like its own profession, because it is. I think you're seeing that a lot. And I think you had this conversation a few podcasts ago with, um, with club sports, you know, if there was club football and they were offering me more money to go be a, a, a club football coach and that was my only job, of course I would take it in a heartbeat. You know, you can't blame coaches for going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people won't know about you is that you won the Broyles award last year for the uh, best assistant coach in New Mexico. So congratulations for that. Thanks. I'm curious how that changed you or, or your outlook? Like what the Broyles award in college, we all know is, is a big deal, right? It's, it's on ESPN. You know, we, we learn about it in December, et cetera, et cetera. But as a high school winner, what did it do for you? Man, it's huge. It's everything to me. Uh, It's, it's funny because I didn't know there was a high school one until I won it. And then uh, once once I saw it, because we we had never done it in New Mexico before, I'm the I'm the first person to win it. Um, it. It just opens up so many doors, and I think a lot of coaches, the more success they have, the more they kind of think they have it all figured out. Well, I, I, as you said, I'm only 30, so I'm still young. I'm still learning. Uh, any any sort of milestone that I hit, I just I, I see things from a different angle or, you know, my thinking of the game or, or what I'm doing or how I'm coaching. My understanding raises a little bit. So I, I'm hungrier than ever. You know, when I got the Broyles Award, I didn't know there was an FSU coaching master's program. And uh, I wouldn't have found out about it had I not won that award. And uh, thank God I did, because now I'm excited to, to join your guys' program and, and see where else I can go. Yeah. Yeah. So. What, what is your goal? What are you trying to achieve in, in this sport in your career? 
My ultimate goal for my career, uh, I, I just want to be recognized as somebody who made a difference. You know, I want to be recognized as one of the the greatest to do it or, or you know, end up in a, in a Hall of Fame. It doesn't matter how big or how small. You know, uh, I just want to be recognized as, as somebody who truly, truly made a difference. But my short term goal right now is just to be a, a head coach for a high school program. Uh, we've talked a lot about trying to, you know, go be a GA somewhere or get an internship somewhere and maybe move up to college. Um, so the short term goal is kind of it's a little bit open. Um, but really, I, I just envision myself coaching football and, until I physically can't do it anymore. And, and that's when I'm going to hang up the whistle. So um, I'm just excited to, to get better at what I love doing. When when we talk about coaching, you've you've talked about the fun stuff <laughs> or some of the fun stuff, which is making a difference, which is why we do what we do. But the realities of coaching are other than poor pay, we have to deal with many other challenges. If somebody's in looking at you going, you know, I want to be a Tim, I want to be a high school, I want to be a high school football coach. And, and I get those emails from time to time, right. With those aspirations, uh, tell the truth. What's it like? It sucks. <laughs> it's one of those things that's uh, a very, very high level of fun. And what I mean by that is it's like hunting. If, if anybody's ever been hunting, the hut itself kind of sucks. It's cold outside. It's probably wet. You're probably cold. You're sitting around. It's a little bit boring. But when you finally find that animal, when you, when you finally stalk it and you get that kill, that's one of the most fun experiences you can have. And that's a lot about what coaching is. Uh, I think you're, you've got to have a humble mind and, and a humble heart and just learn as much as you can, as much as you can, and, and continue to grow in that space. And also understand you're going to have to sacrifice a lot, you know, and, and I think a lot of people say that as a negative thing, but you're not really sacrificing anything. You're just choosing to spend your time somewhere else. You know, if you really want to be a good coach, in my opinion, you've got to spend time, you know, going to clinics. You got to go meet other coaches. You got to interact with other people. You got to see other people coach. You got to hear how other people's coaching cues. And I think it's important to, to know what you're getting into because, you know, Fridays are fun. Friday nights are some of the most fun experiences I've ever had in my life. But Sunday through Thursday sometimes can be a, a, a grind or I coached. Uh, the throwing events for a couple of years uh, for track. Hey, we're only out of practice for an hour, but I'm giving up my entire sun, uh, Friday to be out there until 1030 at night. You know, you're just spending your time differently. So it is it is difficult. It is a, a big responsibility, but it's all worth it. It's all worth mm -hmm. it. College, uh, college coaches may not have to deal with this so much, but I know high school coaches do. And, and that tends to be parents. Do you have any advice for coaches in terms of how you navigate the the parents who who maybe have aspirations for their child beyond their child's ability or playing time or you name it? How do you any any good ideas for for working with parents? Yeah, the number one thing I've I've taken and I've told my assistant coaches is your relationship is with the athlete, not the parent. Um, you know, the parents are going to be mad at you and criticize you no matter what you do. So your relationship should be with the kid. Now, if parents want to come in and talk, I'm I'm open. Come watch practice. Come check out what your kid's doing. And I'm never going to lie to a parent. You know, if your student's not seeing the field because he's physically not ready or there's just somebody better ahead of him, I think that's OK. 
You know, it doesn't say anything bad about this, the athlete. You know, that doesn't mean you don't care about him. It just means somebody's a little bit more prepared than he is. Um, or on the other side of that, football is a violent sport. You know, it's a very dangerous sport. If your kid's not physically prepared to play that, I'm not going to put him in harm's way for, you know, your expectations of your athlete. You know, safety's huge. You know, we've seen how concussions have affected older football players throughout their lives. I'm not going to put a kid at risk just because you want him to, you know, play D1 sports when he's not a D1 athlete. <laughs> right, right, right. And from the perspective, from your perspective, your experiences all the way through as a player and now as a coach, a, a lot of people have aspirations to be a coach or are coaching and have aspirations to move up into coaching. Uh, just in closing, what, what advice would you have for those in those positions, given your experience? There's a lot of setbacks moving up. Um, you know, there's there's always somebody who interviewed a little bit different than you or, you know, maybe better or got a job that you wanted that you weren't really in the running for. I think it's important to understand that those aren't things that you did wrong. And I think it's important to understand who you are as a coach before you walk in. You know, when I interview for a job or when I'm looking to move places or even maybe positions, you know, I want to go in there with a clear idea of, of what it's going to look like. When I'm in control, this is how things are going to run. And if people don't like that, you know, that's okay. You know, you want to be up front. You want to find a good spot for you too. You know, a lot of times I think coaches want to get into to bigger programs or different spaces because, you know, they, there's some sort of, um, I don't know, I, the only word I can think of is like following, but like, you know, there's a status. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, there's some sort of status with it. But, you know, if I'm not being a genuine coach to who I am, I can't teach anybody, you know, how to do things the way I want them to do things if I'm pretending to be another coach um, and, and just learn. You know, when I was a younger coach, that was the hardest thing for me. You know, I wanted to be Coach Ocampo. I wanted to be, you know, Curtis Flakes was another coach on staff that I wanted to emulate. You know, I wanted to be like my offensive line coach, Jim Bottier. You know, I wanted to be those guys, but I'm not. Once I figured out who I was and, and found my voice in coaching, I got way better. My kids reacted and responded more because I was able to, to teach more efficiently. I was able to learn more and install more. Um, so it just all trickles down. I think how you feel and think about yourself as a coach goes a long, long way. Mm. Uh, last question then just piqued my interest. You talked about the relationships with your athletes. I've asked this question before and the answers I get are usually platitudes in, in some sense. How do you get to know your athletes? Do you do anything specific or is it what I typically hear? I just talk to them. Uh, I do talk to them, but, uh, there is, I would hope so. yeah, <laughs> there's a little strategy when you're trying to get to know them. Uh, sometimes I'll ask them, you know, they're in the office or they're just walking by out of nowhere. I'll just ask them what their favorite song is or, or what type of music they listen to or what their favorite movie is. Uh, this year after games, we brought them in on Sundays to stretch and I was running the, the stretching. So as once they learn the, um, once they learned everything and all the stretches and how they're supposed to do it, I would walk around and we would just have conversations. You know, we got to, to practice in thanks, uh, not on Thanksgiving, but in November. So I asked them what, what they like 
more between Christmas or Thanksgiving. And it started a debate. And I think they need to see you be human. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, yeah, it's just talking to them, but guide those conversations. You know, I'm trying to get information out of them that I can relate to so that I can build that relationship. You know, I'm not just talking to them to talk to them. You know, I, I want to know who they are. I want to know what their life's like so that I can help them and serve them better. Good answer. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, listening to the podcast or, or watching this on YouTube at a later date, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, best ways on Twitter. Uh, or Instagram, both handles are the same, at Coach T. Gutierrez. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I'll always respond to DMs or messages or anything like that. Uh, I always love to interact uh, with other coaches. So uh, please, please come on and, and find me and, and let's chat. <laughs> and for those of you listening on the podcast, that's Coach T. Gutierrez. Um, well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. I do hope people reach out and uh, look forward to, to having you in class as well. That's a new one. Oh, I can't um, wait to start. I can't wait. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. Uh, just remind everybody, we try to interview somebody in sports every couple of weeks. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. Or on behalf of myself, Tim Baggerst, and of course, Tim Gutierrez, thank you so much for watching.